when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it'll be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your incredible love for us, your kindness. Lord, we so look forward to eternity with you. By faith, we we trust you and we look forward to seeing you uh, because of uh, your son who has brought about the forgiveness of our sins. We are so thankful. So, Father, help us to be true and faithful, walking with you every day until you take us home or we see you and when you come for us. Lord, now as we look in your word, I pray you would help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of your son, that uh, you would be pleased uh, with our response by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're moving along um, in my decision-making process for what book we'll do next, and I decided to uh, go into a New Testament book and then we'll go into the Old Testament after that. And so after next week, the week after, we'll start in the book of Colossians. And then after that, we'll go back to either Daniel or uh, Exodus. And so we'll just be praying about that. That's kind of the, the plan right now. Uh, the New Testament plan is pretty much solidified unless God changes something. Um, but then uh, we'll go to the Old Testament after that, after we get a New Testament refresher. But uh, before we get there, I wanted to share some passages that I needed to hear and needed to be reminded of, like we heard last week, things that, uh, that we need to hear, that we need to be reminded of. And again, we're going to see how we are to behave in the midst of an ungodly world. If, if, you, if, if you haven't seen it yet, it is an ungodly world. Sin is, is rampant. Uh, the world is in the domain of Satan. Uh, people are following uh, their own desires, and that's Satan's will, by the way. And yet uh, there is uh, a light in the world. There, there are believers uh, who are manifesting by God's grace the character of Christ. And we're going to see that today, that uh, we are to behave in a certain manner in the midst of an ungodly world. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16. And uh, in this portion of Matthew, it's the uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. You could call it the Teaching on the Mount. Really, that's a better, better uh, uh, explanation. But the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and it encompasses chapters five through seven. And in these uh, chapters, I believe, in as a whole, they reveal kingdom righteousness. Jesus does. Uh, presented by the king, which confronts phony righteousness, which is really just lawlessness. And within that, uh, he begins by sharing the characteristics of those who are blessed, those who have a genuine relationship with the king. Those are those beatitudes. It's not to be a certain way. It is blessed are those who are this way. And we see those. They are those who are blessed. They are those who live a lifestyle uh, that reveals they've been saved, that they've been saved, and thus they are blessed. Thus they are blessed. And so uh, at the end of these Beatitudes in verses 11 and 12, it's interesting the Lord no longer says blessed, blessed are those. He then begins to speak about those uh, who are, are blessed are you. He talks about, and we'll see that in our passage too, um, 
and he personalizes it. Uh, blessed are those. And he evidences the reality that those who are blessed are actually blessed if they're persecuted for righteousness sake. If they're persecuted for righteousness, they're blessed because it's an evidence they have a relationship with the living Lord, the living Lord. And so it's from this point, he jumps into another bunch of statements or, or set of statements um, that really are focused, I believe, on his disciples, those who are truly blessed, those who are saved, at least the saved disciples, not Judas, obviously, but the disciples. And so as we come to our passage, we're going to see how we are to, as the blessed, act in the midst of an ungodly world. You know, there's a lot of different ways believers act. Believers hide away from the ungodly world. Believers go attack the world, whatever it might be. How are we to behave? So turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, if you're not already there. And I want to read verses 14 to 16, but I want to go back one verse to gather some context, and we'll review a little bit of 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. Now, he'd been saying, blessed are, blessed are. Now he says, you, you specifically, you are the light of the world. Uh, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we have uh, two declarations concerning what true believers are, what true believers are, which help us to know what we are in the midst of an unbelieving world, but thus how we are to behave. Now, before we get to our passage, I want to review the truth that we just read a moment ago that we are the salt of the earth, that uh, our righteous behaviors, we're going to see, is the means in which the world in darkness tastes righteousness. It's the means in which they do. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And now who is the you that he is speaking of here? Uh, remember, he had been saying, blessed are they. And now he, and, and he went from the third person to the second person. Verse 11, blessed are you. Blessed, blessed are those who, who have this characteristic. They're saved. Blessed are you. He goes on to say now specifically, personally, personally. He's speaking of the saved. Indeed, the last beatitude of these speaks about those who are persecuted having reward in heaven. Non-believers don't have reward in heaven. This is the saved. Verse 11, blessed are you when men cast insults to you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. The yous that he's speaking to are believers. And I believe he's looking at his disciples at this point. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And so this is to believers. And so that, with that in mind, we come to verse 13, where we have a declaration to believers that they, that we are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, we use that term kind of in a cultural way. Hey, that guy, he's the salt of the earth, you know, kind of a down-home guy, you know, whatever it might be. But that's not what this is talking about here. 
This is talking about something else. Now, salt in the ancient Near East was a very valuable commodity, and it was used to help preserve meats to keep them from spoiling. Now, some people take this passage and say, hey, we are that which keeps the world from spoiling. Now, that's possibly true in a sense the Holy Spirit is restraining evil. We know that. When the restrainer's taken away, then all hell's going to break loose in the tribulation. We know that. But I don't think that's what this is speaking about here, because he's going to talk about if the salt has become tasteless. That's the metaphor he's using. Salt flavors things. I don't like eggs without salt. I love eggs with salt. It flavors them, you see? And so here he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are, in a sense, the flavor of the earth. And we're going to see the salt of the earth. And in parallel, we're going to see you are the light of the world. The world. You see, indeed, true believers are the flavor of Christ's righteousness in an unbelieving, dark world. Even dark world. You see, those who don't know Christ like we all were before we came to faith, uh, are bound in sin. They're living in the context of unrighteousness, having no understanding truly what Christ's righteousness really looks like. Uh, We know in Romans chapter 3, there are none righteous, not even one. Uh, Let us not forget uh, the context that preceded these verses. The reality is, Jesus has made statements about those who are truly blessed, the truly saved. And so when he says, you are the salt, he's talking about those who are saved. And then notice, we read this earlier, but in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of what? Righteousness. Uh, For theirs is the king of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of, of me, Jesus says. It is when the life of Christ is manifest in the true believer that we are the flavor of Christ to the world. We are the salt of the earth, as he says here. We're the salt of the earth. When Jesus lives through us, we're able to do what is right. We are able to to, to behave righteously when we are abiding in Jesus Christ. Instead of acting sinfully or reacting sinfully, we can act righteously because of his spirit within us and his enabling as we abide in Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters in this context are the flavor or the seasoning uh, in the midst of a corrupt, sinful world. Is the righteousness of Christ manifest through our words and deeds, as we'll see today. And so then, we see this, and this is, this is really validated with the parallel passage concerning light, which we're going to look at in a minute. Look at verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's our good deeds and our words that are manifest of the righteousness of Christ that people say, that people say. You see, as we by faith allow the life of Christ to be manifest in us, as the word is working in us, dwelling richly, as Christ abides in us and his word in us, we bear fruit. Indeed, Paul told the Ephesians, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So then, concerning Jesus, uh, here he says, you are the salt of the earth. And I believe he's saying, you're the flavor, you're the seasoning, 
true believers are in the midst of an ungodly, corrupt world. When the righteousness of Christ is manifest in our words and deeds, when we obey him, we are the flavor of his righteousness in this flavorless world. In this flavorless world. And so then, we're the salt of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. Now notice, there's a warning that salt can become tasteless. Uh, Verse 13, there's a tragic possibility that even true believers can become tasteless because of unrighteousness in their life, I believe. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt of the earth has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? You know, now there's this nature that pure salt cannot become tasteless. Well, we don't have pure salt. The regular salt we have does become tasteless. It gets old, it becomes, it doesn't, you pour on your eggs, it doesn't do anything, right? It's, it's worthless, right? It's worthless, tasteless. It said it is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. It's a serious statement. When we act inconsistently with our identity in Christ in the midst of the world, then we are good for nothing concerning what God has ordained we are in the world. We're no longer serving our purpose that he has us here for when we are allowing sin to reign in our lives. When we complain around the world, we are just like the world. When we get angry, we are just like the world. Instead of allowing Christ to to take care of it, instead of casting our cares upon him, instead of hoping in him, instead of giving it over to him, whatever it might be, when we act like the world, we become tasteless. You can lose your testimony uh, before the world. It gets trampled underfoot. The world tramples it underfoot. We see that. So then, true believers are the salt of the earth. And then he moves into what we'll look at more in detail today, uh, the analogy of light. The analogy of light. So how are we to behave in an ungodly world? I believe, first of all, we need to realize we are the light of the world. Not, we, not be the light. We are the light of the world. You, says here in verse uh, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. I never knew what a peck measure was, but we'll, we'll look at that. Uh, but put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way, and we'll talk about that phrase later on too, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Again, you believers, those who are blessed because of a relationship with Christ, blessed because of the forgiveness of sins. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute iniquity, right? When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are blessed. We are blessed. And so here he says, you are the light of the world. It's a simple analogy, just like you are the salt of the earth. It is an analogy. It's an analogy. Now he says here, true believers are, present tense in Greek, continually, habitually, the light of the world. You are continually, habitually, the light of the world. You are. And to believers here, I say, we are the light of the world. Based on this passage, you are the light of the world. Continually, habitually, if you are a believer, you are a believer. So we have this analogy or this metaphor of light. But what is it? What is this metaphor of light in Scripture? What do we see? Well, consistently in Scripture, God uses metaphors of darkness and light to, to represent righteousness, light, and darkness representing evil and unrighteousness. We see that consistently. God himself is portrayed as light. 
obviously righteousness, and those who are truly his are portrayed as sons of light or children of light. We have the affirmation of Scripture, 1 John 1, verse 5, and this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and that in him there is no darkness at all. The, the, the implication is no sin. He is righteous, no sin at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, that's walking in sin, okay? We do, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, himself in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. God by nature has no sin. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. In him there is no sin or evil. There is no sin or evil. And again, light is consistently associated with other attributes of God, such as goodness and righteousness and truth. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Ephesians 5.9. Can we open that door, Will? Thank you. Ephesians 5.9. And uh, we know that God's word is metaphorically seen as light also, which is pure. It illumines our hearts and minds. It protects us from walking in darkness or sinning, Right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word enlightens my path or lightens my path so that I don't go in sin. It shows me the right way to go. Now, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is also portrayed as light. The the metaphor revealing he is righteous, sinless, and, and sinless. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light of men. We have in him, there's no darkness at all. Uh, The light of men. We saw this earlier in Matthew chapter 4. The people who were sitting in darkness, verse 16, saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time on, or Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ was in their midst. His righteousness manifest. He's the light of the world, as we'll see. And he was calling upon those in darkness and their sin to repent and believe in him, that they might be children of light. And be children of light. Indeed, Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. Very interesting. He's the light of the world. Now we are the light of the world. Very interesting, isn't that? Uh, well, look, turn to John, um, uh, John, let's see here, John eight twelve. And therefore Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of of life. John 9, 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. Now we are his body and we are the light of the world. Pretty amazing thought, isn't it? Pretty amazing thought. You see, it's through faith in Christ we are delivered from the domain of darkness. Uh, the, the light shined through Jesus in the midst of a dark, sinful world. They didn't comprehend it, actually. Actually, actually, turn back to John again. Uh, John 1. John 1. 
You see, Jesus came to the Jews who were in sin. They thought they were God's people. They thought they were righteous, but they weren't. John 1.5, And the light shines into the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light. He watered Will. That he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. Uh, he was not the light. Let's see, I've read it, read it already. Uh, there was the true light which coming in the world enlightens every man. The Lord Jesus enlightens every man. We see that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Then look up to John 3.16. John 3.16. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen, right? For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has already has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light is, light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil." For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That's why people don't believe, by the way. That's why. Um, He says here, but he who practices truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. Jesus was the light of the world. Uh, And it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we are delivered from the domain of darkness. You see, and he claims now to, he declares, not claims, he declares to all believers, true believers, you are the light of the world. When we were saved, we were delivered from darkness, our sinfulness, into light, from sin to righteousness, from Satan's domain to God. Indeed, listen to the Apostle Paul's account. Actually, turn to Acts 26. I'm not going to read the whole thing. He's talking to King Agrippa. He's talking about when the Lord came into him on the road to Damascus. And then the Lord Jesus is now sharing with him what he's going to do and have Paul do. And he says, uh, verse 17 of Acts 26, Delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, uh, from the domain of Satan to God, or that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. We lived in the context of darkness and sin, and Jesus delivered us. We were called out of his out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter chapter two. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters, that God opened our eyes to our sinful condition through the gospel which reveals the Savior, Jesus Christ, and through Christ we have been delivered out of darkness into light through the forgiveness of sins. And having been delivered from darkness to light, Scripture now identifies us with light. Indeed, the Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians that they were not to be mixed spiritually, speaking of false teachers who disguise themselves, because Satan disguises himself as a 
as a um, angel of light. Paul would say, what fellowship has light with darkness? There's no fellowship. There's no, there's no unity. There's no fellowship. We've been saved and are no longer to be walking in the context of sin. We're not to be walking in darkness. In darkness. Uh, and there are passages that give us a contrast of the way we used to be that, and to the way we are to be. Ephesians chapter 5. We read this earlier, but let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 3, but do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness filthiness, or silly talk or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. As uh, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. We're motivated by our old life not to walk that way anymore, right? What about... Uh, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5, we have an exhortation not to walk in darkness because we've been spared by God's wrath, spared from God's wrath. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is a, a, a portion speaking of the God's wrath coming upon uh, uh, those who don't know him. But he says something else here. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, But brethren, you brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of the hope of, helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Because we've been delivered from wrath, we shouldn't walk the way we used to walk. We should walk in the light. In the light. What about one other passage I want to share with you? Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13. We have the same exhortation. Romans 13:11. And do this. Knowing that, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to waken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Hey, it's closer every day, right? The night is almost gone. The night is this, this day of evil and wickedness. It's almost gone. Uh, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness. Stop doing it. Lay it aside and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly, behavior, by the way, as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or sexuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to it lust. it's lust. Hey, don't get into the immoral stuff, but notice he even says strife and jealousy. Don't, don't walk in darkness. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. 
So we have the metaphor of light, which is a characteristic of the living God. There's no darkness in him. He's completely righteous and holy. There's no sin or evil. Yet we, mankind before Christ and all of mankind apart from Christ, are in darkness. But Jesus came. He was the light of the world. And when we place our faith in him, we are delivered from darkness to light. We are delivered from the wrath of God, which will come upon those who walk in darkness. And this should motivate us to God of living. When you're tempted to contend with somebody, you're tempted to get angry, tempted to, to lust. Remember, this is not our identity. We've been delivered from this. It should motivate us to turn to Jesus and, and have him deliver us from that temptation and to enable us to walk differently. And so back to our passage, full circle. Jesus declares, you are the light of the world. He's saying you're the manifestation of Christ, the true light in a dark world. You're the manifestation of Christ. He's the light of the world, but we're the light of the world now, the body of Christ. So then, how are we to manifest his his life? Again, we'll see it speaking of good deeds, the manifestation of the righteousness of Christ. It's when we abide in Jesus Christ. We rely on him. We trust in him. We obey him. We walk with him. As you have received Jesus, so walk in him. It's by faith, right? Abide in me and, and, and my word in you, right? We see that, right? We should abide in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We're not adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So now he says, you're the world's light. But what does he mean by the world? I think we know, as Christians, we know that term in a sense, I think. We are the light of the world, or you could say it this way. We are the world's light. We are the world's light. Obviously, in context, first of all, the world is in darkness, right? Obviously that, right? The world in this context speaks of unbelieving mankind, and we see that there are those apart from Christ who walk in their darkness because they're still in their sins. There's no righteousness in them. There's no light in them. No matter what someone does, no matter how good their works appear to be, they don't know Christ. There's no true righteousness in them. There's no good in them. The world consistently identifies those who do not know God, who are living by a standard set within their own lust and desires. We see that. The world consists of those who are still in their sins, those who are in the domain of darkness, Satan's domain. And here we are, the world's light exclusively. Believers are the world's light exclusively exclusively you are the light of the world you are the only visible manifestation of christ in this world you know, we got to remember this therefore we should uh uh understand who we are and that's our purpose too as we'll see you are the light of the world you are the world's light so how are we to behave in the midst of an ungodly world first of all we got to realize we are the light right we are the world's light Secondly, we need to realize and recognize our position in the world and our purpose. Look at our passage. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Simple illustration. Fairly simple illustration followed by another, which I believe will drive home two important truths that reveal our position as the light of the world and our purpose as the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
God has placed us in a position that we cannot be hidden. We cannot be hidden. He says, a city set in a hill cannot be hidden, as we'll see. Now, we can hide ourselves. We'll see that. But we're placed in a, in a, as like a city on a hill. It means literally incapable of being hidden. Or it's incapable of, of being concealed. He's speaking of location in this analogy. A city on a hill. That's location. God called us out of darkness into his light. He saved us. Now, by virtue of our location in the midst of a dark world, we are like the city on the hill. It can't be hidden. It can't be hidden. You see, when God saved us, he did not remove us from this dark world. He left us here for a time as sojourners uh, on our way to glory. And by virtue of being in the midst of a dark world, we cannot be hidden, just like the city on the hill cannot be concealed. Well, you say, wait a second, uh, can't believers hide? And you know what I'm talking about, undercover Christians, right? Hiding, right? Um, well, uh, those who no one knows are Christians. Well, the point here is that God places us in the world that, so that we're not hidden. A city on a hill, it's our position. And whatever you think, you cannot be hidden because we are in a dark world. We're in a dark world. And if we are blessed manifesting the life of Christ, it is going to be seen. It's going to be seen. No matter what, it cannot be hidden. Now, obviously, we can sin and we can uh, uh, cause his manifestation of his character not to be seen. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but we are set on hell. We cannot be hidden. When we abide in Christ, it is not hidden. It is not hidden. Now, let me remind you... Uh, if you become tasteless, you're good for nothing, right? And it just may be an evidence that you don't know the Lord. First John 2:15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, and so is its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever, forever. So then here, he talks about here, a city cannot be hidden. And we are, I believe, not to hide from external associations with the world. We're not to be yoked with them, but we're not to hide from them. We are in the midst of this world. We cannot be placed where he wants us to be if we are hiding from the world. We're going to be in this world. And we have that term that we've made up, and it's pretty biblical, even though it's not from the Bible, in the world but not of the world, right? Indeed, Paul wrote the Corinthians uh, concerning uh, immoral people. There was some immorality in the church, and they misunderstood what he was saying. He told them to separate from that. And Paul said, hey, i got to clarify this. 1 Corinthians 5.9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all mean the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Remember? We're placed in such a fashion that we are the light of the world. He says here, but actually I wrote not to associate with any so-called brother. If he should be an immoral person, covetous, idolater, or violent, drunkard, swindler, not to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? That's non-believers. Do you not judge those within the church, but those outside God judges? Remove the wicked man from among your midst. We have to associate with those in the world at times. I'm not talking about a yoking. You know, you need to go to the store. 
You need to buy stuff. And guess what? You know, some people say, well, I'm only going to shop at the Christian grocery store. You know, well, that's okay. But we need to go in the world. We need to go. We're not, we don't take ourselves out of this world. We, 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 we would have to go out of this world if we're not to associate with the world. God has placed us as the light of the world. And we need to be careful. We get kind of self-righteous. I don't want to do that because it's not Christian. Well, no, if it's not sin, uh, we, we don't want to sin. We don't want to be like the world, but we're going to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We need to be careful, but we need to be careful that we don't yoke with it either. Uh, we have nothing in common. Paul would go on later on in 2 Corinthians and say, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Don't do it. So being in the world doesn't mean you're yoked with the world. But it doesn't mean you don't go to a, you don't buy a pair of jeans that's made by a company that maybe has homosexuals on the board. You know, I don't, you know, we can make our choices or whatever we're going to do, okay? But I'm saying we're in the world. And it's our behavior in relationship to those things which will manifest the light of Christ. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful uh, what we do. So he says here, um, and, and I, um, you know, we're, if, if we didn't associate with immoral people, we'd have to go out of the world, right? You know, you go to the gas station, so these people are swearing, you know, and this and that. You get your gas, and you don't swear back, right? <laughs> and you smile, and you're kind. You let Christ manifest in you in that, you're the light in the world, right? Okay. So first of all, he says, this is our placement. It's our position. You are the light of the world. You are. And then notice, he's going to talk about our purpose. Our purpose. Um, a city in the hill cannot be hidden. Uh, you know, and, and obviously, you know, cities in those days, they would have lights. You could see them from far away. You'd walk, there's a city in the hill. It can't be hidden. I, I see it. It can't be hidden. When we are walking in Christ, it's not going to be hidden, okay? Then notice he says, nor do men light a lamp, another illustration, and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives its light to all in the house. Now, I always wondered what a peck measure was. It's basically a bowl of about two gallon size. It's basically a bowl. And so the illustration is, lamps are not lit to be hidden. They are lit to shine. That's why they're lit. No one turns on the light and then covers it. You go in your house, turn on the light, oh, cover it up. Turn on the light, cover it up. No one does that. That's not done for that, right? Lamps are lit and put on a lampstand that they would shine. The simple purpose is to shine. God has placed us in the midst of an ungodly world, which we pray for. We pray for salvation. We hate the sin. We pray for opportunities for salvation. We pray as we'll see that they would see our good works and be glorify our Father who is in heaven. We want them to be saved, but we are still a light in the midst of darkness. Remember, Jesus came to his own. They didn't respond. They crucified him, by the way. But he was the light of the world. There were some, very small remnant that did. And now we are the light of the world. And our simple purpose is to shine. We are, we are designated and designed to shine his light in this world. If you are a true believer manifesting the light of Christ uh, in word and deed, uh, if that's not coming forth from you, if his character is not coming out, you're not fulfilling your purpose. If his character is not being manifest in this world, in your everyday actions, just his character, you are not 
walking according to your purpose. You are the light of the world. That's what he's saying. He's saying. And then notice what he says here. It's unless it gives light to all who are in the house. Then notice what he says here. The implication is, therefore, since you are, then shine. Since you are, then shine. Verse 16, let your light shine. Let it shine, imperative command. That means don't walk in ungodliness. When you are tempted to sin, confess it. If you do go there or don't sin, let him deliver you from it. Don't react the way the world acts. Don't act the way the world acts. Don't uh, don't cover up the righteousness of Christ through your own sin. Let it shine. Let it shine, right? Don't inhibit it. Don't attempt to hide it. Let it shine. Now, how is it that it is to shine here? Now, the NSB, I usually like uh, the 77. That's my favorite translation. There's other translations that are very good too, but I think they missed it in this verse. They say, let it shine in such a way. That almost implies you decide how it shines. That's not what that verse says. The word in Greek, hutos here, means in this manner or in this way or thus or so. It normally points back to what has preceded it. So he's saying, let your light shine thus in the way that it's not hidden, what he just spoke about. Let it shine in that way. He's saying, open to all, let your light shine. NIV says, in the same way, let your shine before men. In the same way, the same way is not covering it up. That's what it's saying here. You could, I believe the point is this. In the same way as the illustration, which is don't cover it up, lights are not meant to be covered, let it shine, open and unhindered. Don't hide it, don't let it be covered. It's not telling you how to shine your light. It's telling you don't let it be covered. That's what it's saying. So in this way, you could say it. Here's my translation. So in this way, uncovered, let your light shine before men. It's before men. It's for the world, isn't it? And notice what he says, the purpose, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They're not saved. It's not their Father, but they're going to see it, and they're going to glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose that they may first see your good works, let it shine. Now, there's two words in Greek for good. One is agathon, the other one is kalos. One speaks of it being intrinsically and morally good, and the other one speaks of the idea of being outwardly good or even beautiful. It's beautiful. That's the word used here. It's outwardly good. It's beautiful. They see your good, beautiful works. You know, it's a beautiful thing when we don't complain. It's a beautiful thing when we don't contend. It's a beautiful thing, and that's in the context of trusting Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Those are good works. It's a beautiful thing when we are kind and we speak graciously to those who don't deserve gracious speech. That's a beautiful thing. That's from Christ. Let it shine. Let it shine. It's a beautiful thing. And it's God who brings those good works. It's not goody-two-shoe works. It's God that brings them through us. Indeed, we were created for good works that we would walk in them. We know that God's word equips us for every good work, 2 Timothy 2.16. So obviously his word instruction equips me for that. We were saved and purified to be possessed by the Lord righteously for, and zealous for good deeds. Titus 2.15. Uh, tremendous, tremendous. 
Don't try to be good. You won't be able to do it. Allow God through his word to change your thinking. Not to change your thinking. And equip you. And then in obedience and faith with the renewed mind, step out and do what he says. Do what he says by his word and power. The righteousness of Christ in us is beautiful. Now, we also saw earlier, uh uh-oh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The world will sometimes persecute you for the righteousness of Christ. Trust the Lord. Your reward in heaven is great. But we pray that they would see your good works. And secondly here, glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Just let it shine. Don't let sin inhibit it. Let it shine. Stop hiding it through selfishness and sin. Renew your mind with the truth. Confess if need be so that they will see your good works. Illustration we have in Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. You know, the world, you go to work, the world complains all the time. Boss is bad, work's bad, hours bad, that's bad, this is bad. Complain, 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 complain. We're tempted to complain. Not so for believers. Don't do it. Don't complain about your work. Don't complain about church. Don't complain about your spouse. Don't complain about your family. Don't complain about anything. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a perverse, crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You see, the world can't help it. They can put on a, a, a restrained veneer, but their hearts can't. They're not changed. Uh, we, by Christ, can be restrained in our sin. Remember what David prayed? May the words of my mouth and my heart be acceptable. Keep me back from those, those outright sins, Lord. Then I'm going to be blameless. Hold me back, Lord. Help me to act differently around these people. It'll be different. We are children of the light. Therefore, shine. Therefore, shine. And know when you don't and confess it. Don't go on. Confess it. Don't walk in darkness. You are the light of the world. You are the world's light. And notice, not only that they would see your good works, but that they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. Doxazo. It's where we get our word doxology from. It speaks of giving high status, weight, honor, praising, magnifying. This life is all about Christ being manifested in us, which brings the Father glory. Rightful praise and honor he deserves. That they may see. It is the world seeing the righteousness of Christ manifest in you, shining. Shining. You've been placed in such a way that it can't be hidden. If you're abiding in Christ, it can't be hidden. It can't be hidden. That they may see your good works, and here's the response, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, when would it be that an unbeliever would give God glory? When they see Christ's righteousness in you. When would that happen? When would they do that? Well, certainly it would happen when they come to faith, right? They realize they're sinful, and they turn to Jesus, and they why, ask why you have hope, and they hear the gospel, and they turn. They're going to glorify God. And I've heard situations of that where people would mock people in the, in the, in, as employees, mock them, mock them, they come to faith, and they, and they praise God for the way those people were because they manifest Christ. Or they might give God glory uh, when they are judged. 
but God's going to receive all the glory. Every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. We see one last illustration here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll read this for you. 2.12, easy to remember. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Think about that when you go out. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing with which they slander you as evildoers, they may on the account of your good deeds, as they observe them, they see it, right? Glorify God in the day of visitation. Folks, it may not happen now, but it will happen. God's going to use it to glorify us. He's going to use Christ in you and you and you and me to glorify God. So let it shine. So how are we to behave in the midst of an ungodly world? Well, I just answered that, didn't I? But let me summarize. First of all, we are the light of the world. We are the light. We are the manifestation of the life and truth of Christ in a dark world. Secondly, we need to realize we've been placed in the midst of a dark world so that we would shine. We would shine. So that men would see that light of Christ in us and would glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let me ask you this. Are you shining? If you don't know Christ, you are in darkness. You cannot shine. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. Yet God has placed true believers around you, and his truth is coming forth, through men even. And I pray that you hear and believe the truth concerning your need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, calling out to save him to save you from your sins, he will save you. Well, what about us? Are we shining? Are we shining at work? Are we shining at home? Are we shining on our errands? Are we shining with neighbors? Are we shining in front of our children? You are the light of the world. Therefore, shine. It's that simple. It's that simple. And then God uses it to bring him glory, himself glory, and that people might be saved. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much, and we do fail, Lord God, but yet we are so thankful that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we are the light of the world, and you placed us in a place to shine that is, it's, it's going to be seen. I pray we would shine uh, unhindered so that um, the character of your Son will be seen by those who don't know you and they would give you glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.